following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Hi, everybody. This is former WWE superstar Al Snow. TWN is Sean Oliver. My name is Eugene. And you are watching the Insider's Edge podcast. Now get on the train. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show here, the Insider's Edge on the WZWA Network. I am your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. It is great to be with you all once again. As I say every single time, of course, it's good to be with you all once again because I'm always interviewing the legends of the professional wrestling industry. And here today, another legend like no other, former... WWC Puerto Rican and Caribbean heavyweight champion. He is the one and the only Cuban assassin, Fidel Sierra. Fidel, how are you going, my friend? Oh, it's great. It's an honor to be on here. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this great uh, uh, podcast with you and uh, talking about uh, some good old stories. Yeah, man, I'm excited too. I remember when I first saw you perform, uh, it was seeing the Barrio Brothers working on WCW Saturday night. Uh, and I was always just very entertained by you both. Uh, and so for, for me, like all this time later, to have the opportunity to talk to you is certainly an honor. So thank you for taking the time. Oh, it's great. It's a pleasure. No worries, bro. Um, so, uh, you know, as per usual, when we start the show, we ask everyone, how did you become a wrestling fan when you were a young man? God, I was like 14 years old, and um, uh, I always loved wrestling. Uh, I even did a little bit of amateur wrestling at uh, world-famous Sportatorium in uh, Tampa, Florida, that Eddie Graham had every Saturday morning. So as, a, as I was probably 12 years old, I was doing like amateur wrestling there. And then, you know, and then got into the, uh, going to the matches with uh, uh, Bill Alfonso, ECW Fonzie. Yeah. And uh, he's like my brother, you know, and uh, uh, we would go every week. And then, then I, I always told everybody, you know, that's what I'm going to be when I grow up, you know, I'm going to be a pro wrestler. And I, I even had a coach laugh at me one time, you know. <laughs> you ain't never going to be a pro wrestler, you, you know, and he basically was really was bad for a, a junior high coach to tell you this and you ain't never going to make it and nothing and da, da, da. But then later on when I did become a pro wrestler uh, and uh, I made like 50 or 60 or $70,000 a year, I, <laughs> I went there and I told him, I said, I made $60,000 last year. How much did you make? <laughs> you know and he, you know just to show him that you know he didn't discourage me you know he, he fueled your fire yeah he did, sure did and it was great back then because back then you know the uh eddie graham and uh the great malenko and all of them were feuding and, and and jack briscoe god bless uh i'm very close to the briscoe family uh it was uh wrestling and jerry and and the talent was unreal back then yeah i can imagine i, I through doing my research i was like oh my gosh the amount of uh just legends and 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 
all-time greats you had the opportunity to share the ring with, I was thinking to myself, how am I going to be able to encapsulate 42 years in the business <laughs> and all these amazing people you got to work with and the journeyman that you were, where you worked with all these different uh, companies all across the world, how am I going to be able to get through every little piece of information that I want to? This is, uh, you know, so it's amazing to me, uh, your career, yeah. sir. Um, you know, I, I even, you know, that I even, I wrestled in Australia in 85. Yes. I don't know if you were aware, I can't remember the name of the company, but I can tell you that I came in as a Southern Hemisphere heavyweight champion. Uh, and I, uh, I wrestled in Melbourne and I did, uh, I pulled out a, a fork and started stabbing the wrestler with it and. <laughs> like Abdullah the Butcher, and uh, and you have like a, a rugby or a, a, a Marco Jekyll or something like that. Um, yeah, uh, I think I know who you're talking about. Um, yeah, he, he, he fought a boxer once and all that, and he really cracked on me. And this is a shoot, you know, he cracked on me on uh, uh, that I wasn't no wrestler, that I was stabbing a guy in the forehead with a knife, which was a fork, but. <laughs> You know, and uh, and he would, what you know. So I basically went on TV and said, "Hey, anytime," you know. And uh, it led to, it led to actually he was doing a commercial. He really got, he really knocked me heavy, you know. And 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 uh, he came to the matches. This is I jumped the gun a little bit. He came to the matches. He was sitting at ringside and I'm wrestling. And the next thing I knew, he tried, he tried to jump in the ring. He jumped up on the, and I went running and went to, well, he's lucky I missed him because he <laughs> jumped down. But, and uh, what he didn't know is I knew he was doing a commercial in the same building, like a week later or two weeks later. And uh, I snuck in the building and I, and I went into his dressing room and he was sitting there. And I closed the door and locked it. And I said, um, you know, there's two ways we can do this, you know. And, and he, he was like, at first, like, you know. And I said, um, we can do this the easy way. We could have a great wrestling, you know, me as a wrestler versus you. We can, you know, do Sydney, whatever, and, uh, and have our match. And we both can make some good money. Well... I forget if I was going to get like $5,000 per fight with him. And it was like three or four of them set up. And then he agreed to like, I forget his figure. But then all of a sudden, once we got everything going on on your uh, like wide world of sports, but it was Australia's yeah. wide world yeah. sports type, he, um, he jumped that uh, he wanted more money and all that. And, you know, oh, right. I think he basically just was, didn't trust me or just didn't know what I was going to do. You know, <laughs> he chickened but, out. <laughs> yeah. That was sort of like in Australia. There was, you know, and I had a great time there. Uh, you know, I was like the assistant booker and uh, with Mario Milano and. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, it was a good time. Very good time there. Oh, that's awesome. I think the 
the God bless Jay Youngblood, though, passed away while I was there. Yes, I, I, I uh, Mike Moran had actually told me a little bit about that beforehand that he was that's where he passed away, was in Australia, which is uh, incredibly yeah. sad, yeah. Um, but that that guy you were talking about, he was an Australian rules football player, and his name is Mark Jacko Jackson. That's his name, yeah, yeah. a little bit cocky, yeah. He's uh, he was a bit of a you know, celebrity here back then but i don't think he's been in the spotlight for many years now yeah um, so uh you become a fan of wrestling as a young man you you spoke about when you first realized that you wanted to be a professional wrestler how at that stage of your life did you know to go from being okay i'm a fan now how do i get into the business and then how does that lead to you trading with hiro matsuda okay <clears throat> The story there gets sort of crazy. I was doing this training on Saturdays and I, you know, like amateur wrestling style. And then um, I, uh, I, I wrestled for this, it's called, it was called outlaw wrestling back then. I'd wrestle on a Friday or on Saturday too. And uh, I really wasn't trained. I just knew her hip toss, this, that, and, and I sort of like, it was like I was a natural for it, you know? Right. And um, so I did that for, a, a, let's say, a year or whatever. Then then uh, uh, in 1978, this is all before Hiro Matsuda. In 1978, I was very close to uh, uh, Rocky Johnson and Adamavia Johnson and... Um, uh, and King Curtis. Right. So between those, between them, they helped me get booked in, uh, in Dallas, Texas in 1978. And my first match there, I wrestled uh, Buddy Valentine, which was Buddy Roberts, but had Greg Valentine in the corner. Right. And man, and and um, uh, I can remember Johnny Valentine because he loved those chops, and, and Buddy would chop me with those little hands, and they were stinging. And by the time the match was over, we were both bleeding. But I would look at Johnny Valentine, and he would be like, have the smirk in his face because he loved that. You know, that was his <laughs> those hard chops, and you know. And then uh, from there. Uh, uh, from there in 78, I was riding a lot with Bronco Lubitsch. And the, and I got lucky. I worked in the Von Erics, uh, Gino Hernandez, it, Al Madrill. There was a heck of a crew there. And uh, Jay Youngblood was just leaving, you know. And me and Jay became pretty good friends. Uh, again, God bless him. But uh, he was going to Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, we were on a trip on the way to work for the Blanchards, for Joe Blanchard. And a Bronco Lubin said, would you like to go to the Carolinas? He said, you're not going to be in the main event. You're not going to, uh, but you'll be from first to fifth match or whatever. And, um, but you're going to make good money. And there's a lot of great talent. And so I got there and they ran three shows a night there. It was an wow. ABC crew, you know. And uh, I was so lucky there was people, Ric Flair was there, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Ricky Steamboat, Jay Youngblood, 
Sergeant Slaughter, then Piper came in. So I was wrestling. I wrestled Steamboat so many times there in the Carolinas from Mid-Atlantic that it was it was unreal because uh, I can remember uh, Nick Buckwinkle came in to defend the AWA World title there, and uh, and Nick Buckwinkle said to me, "How many times have you wrestled Steamboat on TV?" And I said, "Oh." I couldn't tell you so many times, it's unreal. And he said, well, did you notice in your match, you wrestled Steamboat, but every time you covered the people were like, oh, one, two, oh, you know what I mean? You know, so they were, even though he beat you every time on TV, they were really into the match. And that was because Steamboat was such a great athlete. And and then I, you know, I think the work, we worked together good. And that was, you know, it was great. But uh, then from there, you know, we, I went to Calgary and, uh, and, and uh, teamed up with the grappler. And that's a, another story <laughs> in itself because there's a funny story to that. But uh, the, the bottom line for Hero Matsuda was later on, I, I was in Florida wrestling, Florida Championship Wrestling. And Hiro Matsuda was training me to go to Japan. And okay. We, yeah. And, uh, you know, Hiro, you know, there's very few guys that Hiro did train. Uh, like his first ones were like uh, Paul Herndolf and Brian Blair and, and Hawk Hogan and all that. And, uh, and then... Well, then he then us he basically tried he was training us to be prepared for Japan. Okay. The style in Japan is completely different, and and I went there for my five week tour. First time I was there five weeks, I, I was like, oh my gosh, when am I get out of here? And, <laughs> and I was all, but I was smartened up that uh, when you go to Japan, they test you. They try to be stiff with you and all that really stiff and uh if you don't uh fight back stiff then the whole tour that's what they're gonna do every the the word gets around now he'll you know you can beat him up good he won't you know all right okay (laughs) but i I was lucky because i teamed with andre the giant while i was there i wrestled andre we wrestled against anoki and 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 uh uh some other people uh, at great wrestling matches. And, and, you know, and after that five weeks tour, you know, Andre took me into his wing, the mass superstar Dick Murdoch was there. Um, uh, I, uh, it was, it was great because wrestling with, you know, being there with Andre and that for five weeks really taught me a lot and I said god I wonder when I ever get to go come back to Japan you know right and, and little did I know I got back to Florida and Matsuda said he was sending god bless Tracy's mothers was teaming they were going out as a white with one of the yarn sounds the wide eye wild eye southern boys or something yeah. like that and uh we went together uh Two weeks later, I was right back in Japan for a three-week tour. 
or three awesome. weeks later. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, you know, that part was good. But, you know, Hero taught me a lot, you know. All right. So his training was essentially just to uh, get you ready for Japan. So the, your Wikipedia article is just saying that you were trained by him, but you're more self, you, you self-learned. Um, yeah, I self-learned to an extent, but he, but when, when Hero did train me, he showed me a lot of new stuff and, you know, he, you know, a lot of the mat part, to, you know, the, right. he, he fast-tracked you. Yeah. The right. psychology to the, to the wrestling and awesome. Um, so uh, to scale back a bit to your first year in the business, uh, working a lot in Texas, Virginia, and South Carolina, uh, you worked with the likes of Austin Idol, Bruiser Brody, Jack Briscoe, Pedro Morales. Uh, uh, what did you learn most, and who from during this time? And also, do you have any Brody stories? God, I learned a lot from. Uh, God, it was it's so hard to say which who you learned the most from because they each had different styles, you know. Uh, and I, I, I have to say, I learned a lot from Steamboat wrestling him, and um, uh, and and wrestling with either me and Don Carnoto or me and so mm-hmm. I guess Jay and Rick and uh, Ricky Steamboat, and then and then it was thing was different. I mean, like I'd wrestle like Coco Samoa in an opening match and we'd tear the house down. The people were like so into it. And uh, uh, and then I'd go and be on TV and I'd be wrestling Blackjack Mulligan or, you know. Yeah. Or, uh, so that was a whole different, you know, now you're going from one character to, uh, <laughs> you know, one style to a different style. Yeah, yeah. So, I really learned, uh, you know, I basically learned there to to adjust myself to be able to wrestle with anybody. All right, that's cool, man. Uh, and you know, working with Bruiser Brody, I mean, I just uh, I, I, I've heard so much about him. Do you have any stories about him? Well, Bruiser Brody, uh, I wrestled him a few times. I wrestled him in Florida before he became Bruiser Brody as Frank goodish or or however uh he used a different name but uh when i was wrestling in atlanta and this wasn't wcw it was still nwa but he would fly in and he would always come and stay with me so uh i you know we we had a lot of road trips together and uh Brody was always one that, you know, you got to take what, take care of yourself and, you know, save your money. And, and he did, he was one that really saved his money. And, uh, uh, it's tragic the way, you know, he, he left the rest, you know, God bless him. Uh, yeah. But, uh, we, you know, he always would talk to me that in those aspects of how, you know, you got to watch out for this, Fidel, you got to watch out, you know, and, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the, those are the only stories I have were in the cars like that, you know? Yeah, man, that's cool. Um, 
by uh, I guess 1980, you start working for uh, Pacific Northwest Wrestling as the Destroyer. Um, you, so you're moving on to your next territory now, uh, from where you were before. Uh, you know, how was that experience for you as as the Destroyer? Well, well, but before that, we can go to. Uh, I went to Calgary from. Okay, from well, Atlanta let's go to Calgary then. For a very short, it was. <laughs> I was there actually two weeks. Oh, really? <laughs> or maybe three weeks. I, I got there, a team with the grappler. Uh, uh, I can remember doing a run-in. The grappler was watching, and I, and I ran in and uh, uh, pulled the guy's leg for the grappler to get the win. And uh, a fan tripped me on the way to the ring. <laughs> and But I didn't fall, but I remember which fan it was. <laughs> So Grappler didn't see none of this. So boom, he got the one, two, three, and we're on the on the walking back. And I got a kind of heat with uh, Stu Hart and all the hearts for this. You, you see me on TV stop, and I punch the guy straight in the face sitting on <laughs> ringside. And I think, why did you do that? Well, he tripped me, you know what I mean? So, you know, but the, the funniest story there is that uh, me and the grappler won the uh, Stampede Tag Team titles there, and we dropped them there. But we <laughs> dropped them because it started taking taxes out of the grappler's pay. Right. And he was guaranteed so much a week, and I was too. But he had, was there already, so all of a sudden they were going to start taking taxes. I said, "Well, I don't." You could take taxes out, but I just wanted to come out to the same guarantee once you take the tax out. Yeah. So, and they kept telling me they were going to do it, and they didn't do it. So, uh, I he said, bro, if this Friday comes, they take taxes out, or a Monday comes when we get our tax, then uh, I'm leaving. And I said, well, if you're leaving, he said, yeah, but you just got here. I said, yeah, but if they're doing this to you, they're going to do it to me. And, you know, so we went, he took his taxes out. So we went and we seen uh, uh, Bobby Fulton and Eric Emery went to their house and lived like a few blocks down. We had the tag belts in a brown paper sack. We knocked on the door and went in and uh, a grappler told Bobby Fulton, you know how to small package, any small package, he said, yeah, I said, well, show me in each small package of grappler. And I went, one, two, three. We gave, I said, tell Stu Hart, you're the new tag team champions. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> man, we had a lot of heat, you know, and then I left back straight back to the Carolinas because George Scott was a booker and I had an open door policy with him that he, he said, you call me and I'll put you to work. And, uh, <laughs> And man, you know, for a long time, Bret Hart or Owen, God bless, none of them would talk to us, you know. And really? I had a lot of heat, you know. But then it, we, we made, you know, it all, we, it all passed through, you know. I was in Japan with Owen and, and you know, we had great times together. And traveling <laughs> there was, man, traveling in Calgary was wow. Yeah. Uh, a lot, a lot of long trips, you know. Did you do a lot of uh, any of those uh, death tours with the in the reservations where you have to drive on on uh, ice and all that stuff? 
No, but we yeah we drove on ice. Not it wasn't on the reservations, but we man we had like some of the towns were like five hundred miles one way. Oh man, and it was on. You did a lot of miles there. You know. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> but you know, it was part of learning the business, and you know. And the reason I went there was because of my position was going to be at a higher and I wanted to get elevate myself to be able to do promos and all that, which I wasn't get, I was making a lot more money in the mid Atlantic. But even George Scott said, why do you want to leave it? And I said, well, because I'm going to be used a lot better and, and I can make you know, and I can get interview time in and all yeah. that. Yeah, And you don't want to be pigeonholed into just being like an opening match kind of guy and you want to, you know, start to learn more skills and you can only learn those skills if you practice them and practice makes perfect. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, I, so I, I then, get where you're coming from. Yeah. So from there, I went back to the uh, mid Atlantic and then mid Atlantic, uh, uh, mid Atlantic went to Georgia for a while and, and then from Georgia, I ended up in Florida. And then, and uh, at first, they didn't want me in Florida because they considered that I was from an out, you know, came from, you know, they didn't like that I worked for an outlaw group. Oh, right. All that was still. But, you know, but then I, that was all because I already talked about the hero. Man. That was all straightened out. And yeah, uh, that's when I ended up going to Oregon. And like you said, I, Went to Oregon. I was on the way. I stopped in Dallas to work a show. And they said, uh, Gary Hart said, Don Owens said for you to give him a call. I called Don Owens. He said, do you have a mask? And I said, uh, yeah, I got a couple of masks. You know, he said, well, you're going to use it because you're going to be called the destroyer. And then right away, I said, well, Don, I said, there's already Dick Byers, you know, he's the original destroyer. And Don yeah. Owens, and Jesus Christ, I don't care. This is Portland, Oregon, my Northwest, my territory. I want you to be the destroyer. You're going to be the destroyer. Well, that was the destroyer, you know. And uh, I was lucky enough there to be part of uh, Playboy Buddy Rose's Army. Yeah, team to rip Oliver, team to play Boy Buddy Rose, uh, held every title they had there <laughs> as the destroyer. Then later on, uh, I turned babyface. Then I, I then I came back as the assassin. <laughs> well, with all again, these names, surely you're, gonna be, uh, you're not going to be uh, lower on the card. If you find out you're going to be called the destroyer, you might be thinking you're going to be getting a few wins under your belt. <laughs> exactly. Then, then when uh, the assassin part came up, tell me enough. I'm jumping the gun on this, but no, go for the, it, man. The assassin part came up, and uh, I had left, you know, and uh, and Don Owens always. Uh, Connors is the best payoff man in wrestling to me. You know, he really paid very fair. And uh, Don Owens always said, you got a place to go. I, I mean, if you're ever somewhere and they something goes wrong, call me and I'll always fit you in. 
So I forget where I was at, and uh, it, it was either Florida or one of those territories. And they, they told me it was time to go. And no, I tell you what, I was back in the Mid Atlantic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let go a bunch of a guys, and I was one of the bunch of guys. Ricky Santana got to stay. Great partner, everything. So, uh, so I called Don Owens and Dusty Rose was a booker back then. And Dusty loved me. He was a very, so good to me. Uh, but he said, uh, Dusty said, oh, you, you got like a month or whatever. But uh, I went back to the office the next day and said, I'll leave next week. And Dusty said, well, what are you talking about? You know, you, you could stay a month. And I said, yeah, but I got a good position as the assassin in uh, Portland, Oregon. And that was another deal. I said, Don Owens, the assassin, the Jody Hamilton's the original assassin. <laughs> you know, and it was the same type of, you know, it doesn't matter. You're going to be the assassin. And then I held all the titles as the assassin, you know, uh, and got to wrestle so many great talents there you know uh kurt henning god yeah. bless his first sellout was against me in a coal miners glove glove match and all i did was a week before hit him with a pair of brass knuckles while he was doing an interview and then he asked for a coal miners glove match with dutch savage handed him a glove the coal miner's glove, which Dutch was like the king of that. Why, when he was wrestling, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and all you know, sold out, turned people away. All I did was say, I, I had the last interview. I said, Kurt Henning, I got no choice. You got me backed against the wall. Uh, I have no choice but to end your career next week here. Right. And Don Owen said, I was going to be a pretty good crowd, but you know. Uh, and Don Owens was so mad, they turned like thousands of people oh, away. Oh, really? He's and he was mad. Money. And I said, Don, why are you mad? It's sold out. He goes, yeah, but those people that get in, they didn't get in, they're not going to come back anymore. You know, and I said, no, they'll come back. They're going to come back because they're going to next time get their tickets earlier. Yeah. You know. And next so, time he could but, um, get a bigger venue. Yeah, and so, and it, you know, and it ended up, and it was great, and God, me and Kurt were happy, we we got paid a uh, thousand, almost eleven hundred dollars each. That's pretty good for back then. <laughs> for back then, yeah, so, you know, and uh, then I continued, because back then I was in Oliver's uh, clan, because Buddy Rose had gone to New York. Okay. Man, so I was in Playboy from Playboy of Buddy Rose at Grant, so then it was Rip Oliver's clan uh clan. And right. it was me, Rip the Cripper Oliver, and me, Mike Miller. And then other people came in. Dynamite Kid at one point was with us together. Right. So you're running wild. And I held every title, so they, uh, a while back, I never knew that, but they said, you're one of the only guys that was a triple crown uh, title holders of every belt in the Northwest with each character. And I right. said, oh, that's cool. 
you know? <laughs> and, you know, so uh, it was a great time, though, in the Northwest. The trips were easy. Uh, Ricky Santana ended up being there. Uh, I, I got him booked there from Florida. They, they, right. They, he needed a place to go. And I told Don Owens, I got a great guy. He's a really good, good looking guy. He, you know, and, you know, we ended up teaming up there as, you know, me with the mask and then as Assassin and Ricky Santana. And it was. Uh, <laughs> That's great stuff. And, and Ricky was a good looking man. And I'm sure the women certainly appreciated him back then. Uh. Yeah. Because <laughs> then I, I lost a loser leave town. And that's how I'll go into the next character. Of right. Portland. I lost a loser leave town, went to, to Japan for five weeks. It was when the movie Top Gun came out. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I had these masks made and I said, I'm going to come back as Top Gun. <laughs> and, and that's what I, and I did that and I got over. It was like, wow. Uh, sold a lot of pictures. And, and, and because the movie was so hot, then was the first that uh, it really got over big. Smart thinking. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and yeah, I cool. played the top. Da, 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 you know, the top. <laughs> yeah. It, it was that's, fun. That's hilarious. That's great stuff. Um, so, you did mention you worked a lot with Kurt Hennig. Um, look, every time someone mentions Kurt Hennig, I have to ask you any fun stories or ribs that Kurt pulled. Any. <sighs> Please, please indulge me. It's like my favorite thing. Kurt, <laughs> Kurt would do the most ribs. I seen him pull a rib on a guy named Scott Ferris, and it was a heavy rib, though. He took, he was in Scott Ferris in the ring. He said, Kurt, he's come with me outside, and he had a boot in his hand. I said, What are you doing? And uh, he said, You got a lighter? And I, and I had a lighter. He said, I lit a, a, a like a TNT little lit it. He dropped it in a cowboy boot, <laughs> and I said, "What are you doing?" You know what I mean? <laughs> I lit it. He just like threw it in the boot, and then uh, we got back. The boot went flying in the air, spinning, landed back, standing up, <laughs> but the hole from the bottom, so it would look like somebody had took a razor blade and slid it all to piece, <laughs> you know, and it was still on there on the hill and everything. He put it back and uh, I was in the other dressing room. I said, I got to go see this reaction. <laughs> and I walk in and Kurt's acting cool and everybody and there's uh, Scott Ferris getting dressed and he goes to put on the boot and he sees it and he goes, oh, Right away, though, he looked and he said, Kurt Henning, you did this, did And Kurt, no. Kurt's <laughs> favorite, this, uh, I'll investigate this. Uh, Mr. <laughs> I have to call Mr. Fuji. Mr. Fuji, investigation, he would call it. <laughs> and, man, I seen him put locks. You know, he pulled a rib on me one time, and I know it was him. He put my ba bag. We all rode together and he put my bag on the back of a trailer hitch you know <laughs> yeah and, and it was rip all over was doing the brights at us 
and um, uh, half my stuff had fallen out of the bag on the highway. I went back, <laughs> and he would swear, and I, he, God bless the day he passed away, he never admitted that he did that. <laughs> but he knew it was him. <laughs> but I knew it was him, you know what I mean? Because there was a lot of stuff. I'll tell you, he pulled a rib one time in Salem, Oregon. We all were in a battle royal. He had somebody, and I know it was him. He had somebody through this long piping with chains. We came back from the battle royal. Everybody's bags were locked to the chain, <laughs> hanging. And and I looked right over and I said, how did you do this? You know what I mean? He, <laughs> he basically paid, you know, gave somebody, you know, who knows, 20 bucks, whatever. And uh, he, got, and he also got me real good there. He lived in Washington State and his, uh, his wife was out of town. And so me and Ron Ritchie, and back then, man, he wasn't hesitate to shave somebody's eyebrow off or whatever. So uh, I remember going to sleep and it was so hot. Well, what he did was he put the heater on in the room I was in. <laughs> and I woke up in the middle of the night, sweat was pouring off me. I walked out and I said, why is it so much cooler here? <laughs> and then Kirk comes out. He knows what he did. Kirk comes out and he goes, I got nothing to do with it. And I'm like, think I'm not, now we're forgetting about the heater. I'm thinking he shaved my eyebrow off or something. Oh, shit. Yeah. I ran into his rest to, to the bathroom and looked and, I said, and here comes Ron Ritchie running and thinking, but it was, really he didn't shave nobody's <laughs> eyebrow. Oh, but so I got him on, on a rib. Uh, we were in uh, Calamit Falls or, or in uh, me, him, and Rip Oliver. And Kurt said, man, I got to get a haircut so bad. I said, Kurt, I used to be a barber before I got into wrestling. So uh, <laughs> Rip Oliver's looking at me, <laughs> trying to figure me out. And I go like this. I get Kurt's hair about that much. And I go, shh. <laughs> and Rip Oliver and Kurt jumped up because Rip Oliver goes, I got nothing at all to do with this. <laughs> and then he knew that I would never have been a barber. I was going to go for it. I was going to try to give him a good haircut. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you for sharing all those stories. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I just don't know how he managed to do some of the things he did, getting people's uh, bags chained to the roof of the arena and stuff like that. It's just incredible. <laughs> yeah. He, you know, really because he was in New York and I guess Fuji was, Mr. Fuji was a big ribber. Oh yeah. I've heard some doozies. With so he's seen, so he seen a lot of the ribs and then he, you know. Yeah. Cause that's, yeah. that was his favorite saying. Uh, this is a Mr. Fuji investigation. I have to call him and find out. My, uh, my favorite Mr. Fuji story that I heard was uh, he was traveling to a show with a guy who was new to the business and wasn't, wasn't really uh, well-versed with the area that they were in. 
but the young guy was going to be driving Mr. Fuji to the show and Mr. Fuji was going to be uh, directing this young guy to the show. It took them like seven hours to get to the building and they did the show, got back in the car to go back to where they were. And when they went back, it took 15 minutes to get back to where they were. (laughs) Seven hours, essentially ripping himself in the process. Just, 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 yeah, that's fantastic. Um, So Andre the Giant, 1984, uh, is when I first saw in my research that you had um, done some stuff with him. I think you're working against him in a few six-man tag team matches. Uh, And you've already mentioned uh, your time with him in Japan. Uh, I'd like to, again, ask you, do you have any uh, stories of you and Andre the Giant bonding? Did you ever see him drink 101 beers in one night? Please no, I seen a, but I seen him drink gallons of wine. I right. seen him drink the giant bottles of wine, like three of them, like nothing. And uh, <laughs> I guess the uh, biggest rib I ever, not rib, but him and he didn't, him and Buddy Rose didn't click off somehow. Buddy would get under his skin for some reason and and I'm going back to, we were in Seattle, Washington, and we were like in a, uh, it was, I want to say Andre, Jay Youngblood, and maybe Matt Bourne, or some of that against me, Rip Oliver, and Mike Miller, or, you know, yeah, or might even been Dynamite, but uh, uh, Andre got Buddy Rose good, and Buddy had him in a headlock, and you know how you spin the guy back to try to pin him. Yeah. Well, Andre did that, shoved his thumb up Buddy's ass. <laughs> I mean, all you seen was Buddy Rose's eyes go. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> oh my God. So that that's like the best Andre the Star- Giant story <laughs> besides him getting me in Japan good, but he, uh, Buddy Rose was wow. But uh... that's incredible. Um, 1985, you are now known as the Cuban assassin. How right. did that come about? Well, that came about with uh, the original Cuban assassin, Angel, in Calgary. We were in all, well, that's from back when we were in Calgary. Yep. And uh, Andre, I mean, in. Uh, the, we were supposed to go to Japan together as the as the Cuban assassins. We we took our pictures, everything together, and uh, it fell through and never went through. And uh, and and then Angel said it didn't work out. But here's the deal. He said, "There's if you want to use the name Cuban assassin," and he gave me permission. He said, "There'll be place. There's a lot of places you're going to go that I'm not going to go. I, you know, I don't plan on going to Florida. I don't plan." And so uh, that's how I ended up with the name. But I, you know, I put Fidel Sierra, the Cuban assassin, because uh, you know, being Cuban and uh, you know, back then with the Castro and all that, it, it, it got a lot of heat. Absolutely, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, good. So that's how I got the name, you know, with permission from the, and I, he is the original Cuban assassin. 
<laughs> right. So unlike yeah. uh, the assassin and the, the destroyer, now finally you're doing something where you got the permission. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, Believe me, because the other ones, Jody Hamilton, the original assassin, he would give me hell every time he seen me after uh, yeah, years yeah. after that. You know, I could have sued you. You took my name. I said, I do take your name. Donald's gave me your name. Yeah, no, it would. None of that was your fault. But I, I, I can still imagine that those two probably wouldn't have been too uh, happy about it. Um, no, no. Um, so uh, I wanted to know about your time in Puerto Rico. Um, you. I think it's 1985, but I might be wrong that you first go there. Is that correct? Yeah, it would be around that time. Um, yeah, yeah, because that because from there I went. That's when I went to Australia. Oh, right. Okay. 85. So yeah, I was I was there. Um, I went to Puerto Rico. They team me with this guy, the angel of death, or well, anyway, he was uh, he spoke Spanish too, but they didn't let the people know he spoke Spanish. And it was me and him, and they had us wrestling uh, the uh, jumping Joe Savoti and Al Perez. Yeah, they would come out to the ring like with a rock and roll express there with the music playing. And uh, our first TV there, we ran out, got them, broke their, uh, hit them with the uh, with their radio, and they and they both, you know, were bleeding. And uh, then we put the radio and we stomped it to pieces, and uh, we did a started a little program then, and. Uh, you know, I did that, and then I wrestled Al Perez a few times. I remember Ric Flair being there, and we were in a town, and it was sold out. It was like a spot show town, but uh, let's say four or 5,000 people, and I was wrestling Al Perez, and the people started fighting, trying to come to the ring, and we just kept on with our match and finished our whole match at our finish. Nobody ever made it to the ring. And I remember Rick Flair, when we got back, Rick Flair chewed me out. He said, anytime that ever happens, you just leave right then the heck with the match and come back to the dressing room. So you, somebody could have got hurt bad in the, you know, audience or one of you guys could have got hurt bad, you know, and that was a lesson, you know, and, and I didn't even look at it that way. I just looked at it like, wow, I got a lot of heat. <laughs> uh, and I believe that tag pilot's name was Angel Mexicano. Something, there you go. Yeah. Yep. Um, really so, good guy. Yeah. I mean, so Puerto Rico is crazy. It's a crazy place, uh, you know, for a wrestler. And uh, I'm sure even if you work there these days, the crowd would still be uh, unglued every time you perform in front of them. Um, so oh, this must yeah. have been just an amazing experience to to feel that heat when you're a heel in Puerto Rico. Um, yeah, and you know what I loved about Puerto Rico? Um, Carlos Colon is the Hulk Hogan of Puerto Rico. And um, what I like about Puerto Rico, well, even till this day, 
you're if you're in a match and the baby face starts fighting you back, they're wow, wow, wow. Yeah. The fans are into it like that, you know. And you know, uh, I had a, a lot of great, uh, a lot of a lot of history there in Puerto Rico with Savio Vega, with uh, Carlos Colon. We sold out uh, Caguas, Puerto Rico. I don't know how many uh, weeks in a row, and all around the island. Of course, you know. It took a lot for that. I, I beat the heck out of Carlos with the flagpole, with the Cuban flagpole, and <laughs> and uh, and I even at one point uh, took the Puerto Rican flag, uh, put it on the mat, and wiped my feet with it, and then oh, ripped man. it too. And I almost didn't make it back to the dressing room. <laughs> What a what a it was with Car- against Carlos and Savio Vega as TNT and <laughs> it was uh, a, a lot of close calls and my wife Fantasy got involved with me and and uh, she would have her purse and inside her purse would be uh, like a brick in the purse. Oh, okay. But it was really like we set it up for the brick in the purse, and I would hit boom. She would hand it to me. I'd hit the wrestler. The wrestler would be bleeding, and uh, the fir- you know, and then the first time uh, Invader came running out, and Ricky Sedan and them, and they pulled out, and it was pointy brick like that. Right. Because why we ended up putting the toilet paper was because one time. She hit, uh, she, the brick was still in there. She hit Ray Gonzalez with it, and the tip of the of the brick cut, busted his head in it again, like eight or nine stitches. Oh, and, wow. uh, and you know, so then, so then we just went with this the toilet paper in there because everybody, <laughs> you know, in their people's imagination, it was always, yeah, a brick. Of yeah, but that's smart. Uh, a lot, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of heat, man. I, I was there with the bushwhackers. Yeah. Which at that point, with the sheep, sheep herders, and uh, there was a lot of riots, a lot of uh, making it to the car with them, and people trying, and the fans. Literally, we had guards in the front, back sides. Fans were still trying to rock the rental car, you know, to tip it over and. Uh, they would throw spark plugs and rocks at you, and it was uh, it was at that time it was really crazy there. That's unbelievable. Uh, every time someone talks about Puerto Rico on the show, we had Ricky Santana on the show. Um, just every single time, uh, you know, Mike Moran. It's just it's always these crazy stories of these dangerous situations. Um, it must have been pretty cool for you. April 6th, 1985 in uh, Caguas, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, yeah. Becoming the WWC Puerto Rican heavyweight champion. Uh, you know, I mean, I know winning a title is, it, I don't know, some people feel like it, it, it's not that big of a deal, but others do. 
but it's it's the company showing that they appreciate you and they're giving you the ball to run with it, which is what makes it meaningful. Um, so for you at this stage of your career, you've you've done everything in these other companies, won all these championships. Now you go to Puerto Rico and you're really being pushed as a top guy working with Invader One and Carlos Colon and in cage matches and stretcher matches. This is some incredible stuff, man. So how did it feel to be Bob wire matches? Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, great and in, in that the, they had the confidence, but uh, I earned that. You know, I mean, I earned it by the, you know, they give you the ball to run with it, but if you couldn't keep up with the heat and keep drawing people, then they wouldn't, you know. Yeah. So uh, Carlos Colon and them had the faith in me that, you know, that I was doing good and that I was a hot heel at that time. That's why they didn't expect some of the crowds. I remember Hugo Savanovich said, wow, I expected a pretty good crowd in the Caguas or wherever I was in Carlos, but I didn't expect it to sell out. But it did. You know, and it was... Uh, I had a lot of great matches with Carlos. Uh I enjoyed every match I had with them because I knew we would have the people in the palm of our hands. Yeah. And uh, had a lot of great matches with Savio Vega. Uh, with with uh, Fantasy against Invader, we drew one of the biggest houses in Bayamon, uh, Puerto Rico. And uh, I think it was 19,000. Wow. And, uh, and it was, a, there was a lot that led up to that, even where Invader went to my wife, fantasy came into the ring with the purse getting ready and uh, Invader went to, and she was uh, behind Invader went to hit, Invader went to hit me with a hard punch and I ducked and he ended up hitting her with a hard punch. Right. And she went down and uh, I'll tell you how much heat we had that we stretched, they stretched her to an ambulance. They filmed the whole thing, which led to a giant feud with me and him. But uh, the people were all screaming, que se muera, que se, which let her die, let her die. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that's serious heat. That you know? is. <laughs> and uh and that led to a lot of, you know, that's how we led to that big house, you know, mm. because then I, I, they showed me in a dressing room the next week. And I threw like, showed me go into the baby face dressing room. And they, you know, here I am as a heel run into a baby face dressing room, attack invader in a chair and start beating the heck out of them. And all the baby faces are trying to hit me and pull me off. And I was pushing them away and all that. And then I, did this interview like and it was like in the baby face dressing room was on one side of the hill and, the other, and in the middle there was like a boxing ring and so there were there was like uh uh a, a giant garbage can and i kicked it happened to be empty just in the interview didn't even realize it and it went flying into that ring and <laughs> and i was cutting the promo and it just really everything just fit in you know 
Right. Yeah, that's cool, man. I really wish, you know what, I'm going to make sure that I take some time to to seek out some footage from this stuff because uh, it just sounds so, it sounds really up my alley in the kind of stuff that I like to watch. Unfortunately, I just, I haven't had the chance to see enough Puerto Rican wrestling, yeah. but every time I hear these stories from you guys, I'm like, man, this, this sounds like my thing. Yeah, you know, and all this, like that feud with Invader and all that was all after whatever happened with him and Brody, you know? Right, yeah. And uh, I was in Japan when whatever that happened. And so um, I never, you know, God bless Brody was such a good friend. And and I, and I never um, mm. questioned, you know, I, it bothers me and I hate it. But uh, I was trying to make money. Yeah. And uh you know. Was it always in the back of your mind every time you spoke to him or uh, spoke to Jose? Uh, it, anytime you're around him, did it always just linger in the back of your mind? Uh, yeah. You know, even one time he said to me, he said, uh, you know, and I'm not saying this and uh, whatever happened there is a lot. There was a lot more to it than what, you know, they did what's that dark side of the ring? It wasn't the way they did they they put it. But whatever happened there, there was a lot more to it. Um one time out of nowhere, Invader said, Fidel, you know, and and, uh, and I'm like, and he said, you know, nobody realized there was how much stuff was going on with me and Brody or whatever. And right away, because Brody was a good friend of mine. I'm feuding with him. I said, I don't know why you're even mentioning this to me. I don't want to know nothing. I don't want to talk about nothing. Uh, you know, it wasn't like he was saying, you know, he just said there was a lot of stuff going on. Between and, and then I just, you know, worked my way out of that. Yeah. No, good decision. You I know, think, yeah, know. pretty awkward. Yeah. yeah. You know, one time he said, one time he did say he needed to talk to me and, and I'm bad you know, because uh, me and him got into it one time, really pretty uh, serious, where Carlos and Ricky Santana had to run out. It was in uh, uh, Yabacoa or something like that. And um, I wrestled him, and the match ended. We were fighting outside, and my wife was out there. And we came back in the dressing room that, you know, and the next thing I know, he came in, grabbed my wife by the hair and he yanked her out. And this wasn't part of the deal. And I came on, you could see me like punching him and bottles flying and beer. And um, uh, you could see me like he has her by the hair and I'm punching him all across the face. And then I get him like in the front face lock. And Carlos, you can see Carlos and Santana and Carlos Cologne is like, please, please, you know. And I'm like looking at what the fuck's going on here, yeah, you know. And uh, then I remember like two days later or whatever, I went to the wrestling office, had a baggie like this, and it was full of blonde hair. And I said, what the hell is this shit? You know, what what's going on with him, you know? And uh, 
then he had he had the balls to later on ask me. He said, "Amigo," he said, "You didn't really want to fight or whatever, you know." I just, you know, felt like you know. And I said, "Yeah, I did want to fight." I said, "Shit!" I said that, you know. He said, and then I know what you know now. I know what he he felt like there wasn't enough what we had done, but it wasn't because none of that other part was put into the finish. Yeah. Yeah. I really, you know, but, um, ah, we got over it, you know? Yeah. He just didn't clear it with you beforehand. No, no, I don't, you know, I think it was just like, it just happened right off the fly right there. Just, he felt like, well, we need to add a little more to this. Right. Um, so I I wanted to bring this up and and if you, if you totally don't want to talk about it, it's totally fine. But, um, I don't know. I just thought it, it, it might be something to, to, to talk about. And that's when you're in Australia and I wanted to know what your perspective was on, on what happened with Jay Youngblood in Australia and and what you saw or, or what happened. Well, here's the deal. Um, Jay Youngblood, God bless, was one of my best. He was so good to me. We were so good. We were we traveled there together. We we flew out of Houston to Hawaii, Hawaii to I think to Australia, um, and uh, it was uh, Jay and uh, uh, Mark and Mark's wife, and we were traveling. We we're flying there. And I can remember then Jay was like, you know, was not feeling too good or, you know, was, uh, you know, complains that had complaints about his sides and all that. And then then when we were there, Jay, uh, you know, I'm in the office and we're, we're on our way to a meeting and we're all going to the meeting. And Jay was like, really like his side, he said, man, and I, I said, Jay, I said, you know, I said, you, you're maybe your pain, uh, your appendix is bursting or something. Yeah. You know, and uh, by the time I got to the office, it hurt so bad that he went to the, he had to go to the, to the emergency room or whatever. And from there, he ended up in the hospital and I'd go see him every day. And, you know, and, and it was it ended up being something with his pancreas or something like that. Uh, never was it about drugs or anything like that. There was rumors. And I said, no, no, no. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I didn't like that, you know, because there was a, another tour there. And some of the guys said something stupid like that. And I won't even mention those guys because they're not worth mentioning. Uh, and I said, no, you weren't there. You don't know. He was, you know, and, uh, I do know that a few days before that, that while I was at the office, we had been drinking Jack Daniels. And, uh, while I was at the wrestling office, he got from, from the maid and he, and it, the bottle was at least half full and I got back and he had finished it. And, and this was the days before that. And maybe, you know, I, I don't know if he was going through personal problems with his wife back then or 
whatever, but I, I just know that uh, when he was in the hospital because of that, his side hurting so bad, and then he had like a like a heart attack or something, and then right. and then his last things was these machine. He was being kept. These machines were like helping him stay alive and all that, and he didn't know nobody. And uh, I can remember I went to go see him, and um, uh, I went to go see him, and then uh, was talking to him, and I said come on, brother, you got to fight through this. Uh, you know, I know you can hear me or, you know, not knowing if he could hear me or not, you know, I don't think he could. And I said, I'll be back later on. And uh, I went, I had to get away. I went, I, I went and watched some movie just to clear that out of my head because I uh, didn't like the way I was seeing them, God bless and uh, then I came back after the movie. I said, I'll be back later on in the evening or the afternoon or whatever. And I came back and um, uh, was, again, you know, come on, Jay, you got to fight out of this. You're going to make it, blah, blah, blah. And the weirdest thing was like a tear ran down his eye. And I don't even know if Mark and Chris know this, but, you know, uh, the doctor came in. The only reason I got to see him so much is they made it sound like I was like one of the brothers too, like you know, like Mark did. And uh, uh, the doctor said, you know, your brother. I went. He said your brother's bleeding a little bit inside or something. Yeah. And I, I went. I called Mark and I said, Mark. Just wanted to let you know that Jay's bleeding a little bit inside and all that. That's what the doctors told me. And just, I had, you know, I just went to see him. And um, I, um, all of a sudden, one of the nurses came to me and said, you were just visiting Jay. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, a little bit after you walked out, which only could have been like 10 minutes, maybe, or uh, he passed away. Oh, and my I gosh. Said, I had just hung up from Mark. And I'm like, you're trying to tell me that he's gone. You know, I didn't want to accept it. And so, now, you know, now I, I had to call Mark back, who had just told me I'll probably be there in a couple hours or, you know, and now I had to call Mark back and said, Mark, uh, I don't know how to tell you that, but Jay just passed away. And that was that was so hard because uh, Jay was such a great person and always treated me from the time in 1978 in Dallas to the Mid-Atlantic to even Portland. We went, we went to Portland, Oregon. He helped me go to Portland, Oregon. Um, It was it was just unreal, you know, and, and even it was him in uh, in Australia that said, you know, you should really be the booker here. You should be, you know, 
And he told that to certain people, and then they made me assistant booker. You know, and yeah. But uh, Jay helped me a lot, and he was his family. They, they really mean a lot to me. I'm very good friends with uh, both brothers. I talked to Chris now and then. I've seen Mark and Chris were both inducted into the CAC. They have that every year. Yeah. In Las Vegas, and uh, they were inducted a few years ago, and I've seen them both together. And, uh, uh, you know, but uh, Jay was always so good to me, and I had a lot of sellouts. I had sold out in Portland Sports Arena with him and strap matches and all that. And But him being gone was like, it was heavy, you know, it was like, yeah. you know. Oh, well, I, so, I really appreciate you sharing that uh, with me. I didn't realize how heavy of a story that was going to be. Obviously, I knew it was going to be a heavy story, but I didn't realize how close you were to that situation. So thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, I guess um, we should move on to some more positive things. Uh, yeah. It's uh, flip the mood here. Um, 1990, NWA. Uh, you're working with the likes of Brian Pillman, Tommy Rich, and even El Gigante. Uh, yes. <laughs> what was it like working with the big man? I know a lot of people had a tough time with him. <laughs> El Gigante was hard, man. Uh, I actually, if, I don't know if Ricky Santana told you the story, but he was on charge of being on the road with El Gigante. <laughs> I don't recall that, no. And then I then uh he couldn't take it no more. He he quit or you know, and uh or Hero Matsuda got I don't know what happened there, but uh I ended up uh then being on the road that you know uh Rick Flair and Kevin Sullivan pulled me in and said uh you you wanna be on the road with the giant. And he's going to be staying in Tampa, but you're going to be like his, you know, like a babysitter. And uh, I, uh, I would go. Hero Matsuda was training him, and uh, Hero was training him. So I would, I would go train with him, get suplex slammed by a. You know, he's being taught this now, right? Yeah. And it was, uh, man, they put my body through hell, you know? <laughs> I'm trying to think who else was with us at that point. But uh, what I was noticing was, and, and believe me, because Hiro Matsuda taught a lot of people, but he was teaching the big guy I want to say this correct. He was teaching them how to wrestle, but not like a giant. Right. Because well, he was a giant. And so, you know, when you've seen Andre or whatever, you know, they did big giant man stuff. Yeah. You know, and so uh, they sort of asked me that, you know, because the giant liked me to the point where they were going to put Hiro Matsuda on the road with him. Yeah. 
and and uh, he said no, he wanted me on the road with him. You know, which was a good thing. I made good money. You got paid but more it for was, it. <laughs> yeah, but it was a hard thing too because here I'm wrestling, and I'm, you know, then he wants to stay at these expensive hotels. He's making killer money. I'm making good money, but not the money he's making. So there was a lot of times, and you know, he didn't, he never he didn't believe in split rooms. So I would always have to stay on my own. And some of the hotels were more expensive, and then I'd have to take him, make sure he had to go to lunch, right. all that stuff. So it was it was a a hard, you know, became a hard job, you know. And, and during those times, I wrestled against him under mask and. Uh, my first time he appeared on TBS, I went out with him and spoke, you know, he spoke in Spanish and I said what he said in Spanish and English as David Sierra. And, um, and then, but the, the, I, I did the interview, what he said in Spanish, I talked a little bit like Dusty. <laughs> and Dusty, when it came back, Dusty said, I can't send you out there no more. You, you know, Dusty was the inside rib. Dusty goes, You were doing Dusty Rhodes better than Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> <laughs> Joking, you know. And I said, The dream, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's from, you know, not doing that many interviews or not, you know, it's just. It was just the way that it came out, you know. Right, fair enough. <laughs> uh, it was an unintended but, rib. <laughs> yeah, but uh, he was hard to work with, you know. I can imagine. Yeah, and those, you know, those were the days where I think shortly after that, when uh, they were doing, uh, they had all these guys in black outfits wrestling Sting. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, I remember one time they could put anybody under there and they wouldn't know who it was. Cause I think I, at first it started out being Al Perez and then something happened. I heard something. I remember I was in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm not trying to get away from the giant story, but I was there and the giant was asking somebody else. And they said, you're going to, oh, the black scorpion or whatever. It was yeah. Called. Yeah. That's it. You're going to be the black scorpion. And I said, what? He said, yeah. It's, and that was like the main event. But I wrestled Sting so many times uh, with not the back as not the Black Scorpion that yeah. we went out there and we tore the house down and it was you know and I said well, I was the main event is the Black Scorpion nobody even knew it. <laughs> <laughs> crazy I think that was um, South, South Carolina we had flown <laughs> into uh, 1994. Uh, I know I'm skipping ahead a few years here, but you're working with WCW 1994. Uh, things are obviously starting to change with the company now. It's no longer the NWA. Uh, Ted Turner is now a thing, and uh, things are starting to uh, to build up for the company there. What were you noticing every time you were there, the changes that were taking place in WCW? Oh, God, there were so many changes. Was that when Eric Bischoff was in power yet or not? I think he was on the cusp of being in power at that point. Yeah, I think uh, coming into like mm, mid-94, early 94. There was Jim Hurd that was in charge. Yeah. 
and then Eric Bischoff took over. That's it, yeah. And, and it, you know, in this business, you know, and I, me and Santana were together, I think, at that point. Yeah. And I had so many gimmicks in WCW. Before we, I get into this part, I wrestled as the terrorist, and they made me take that away because they, they couldn't have that on TV. I wrestled under I had so many different deals under mask, and then I wrestled as David Sierra, and then, and then I, I wrestled as uh, with Ricky Santana as Especialitos. Yeah. And then, you know, we lost our mask in Daytona Beach at the uh, beach bra or whatever. Yeah. And then we became the Barrio Brothers. Ricky Santana was a, is one of the, my best friends. He's like my brother. And a, one of my greatest tag team partners of all time. Yeah. he When I interviewed him, uh, he had nothing but just uh, the utmost respect and, and kind words to say about you. Um, and I'm definitely going to sink into the Barrio Brothers run very soon. I wanted to ask you about 94 and 95. You work some matches for the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, you, you do work on uh, the February 5th, 94 episode of Superstars, teaming with Barry Horowitz against the yeah. 123 Kid and Marty Gennetti. Uh, and then you also teamed with Ricky in a few tryout matches in June but you weren't signed. What was going on there? Why, why don't you think that the Barrio brothers were signed uh, to the WWF at the time? Well, there was uh, the Mar when I wrestled Marty Daddy and uh, the one, two, three kid, uh, me and Barry Horowitz, I was just doing some shows that I got booked okay. on. Yeah. But then when we went, me and Ricky went there a couple of times for tryouts and, um, uh, there was some heat between Ricky and Shawn Michaels right. that went way back to the San Antonio days. Okay. And I, I think what happened there myself, you know, is that uh, uh, I know we passed Shawn Michaels and hey, hi, and he like just kept walking by and and Ricky goes, hey, you know, we were together in San Antonio, whatever. And he kind of put put Michaels on the spot there, right? Now, did Michaels go back and tell Vince that or did, you know, the politics of our business? All I know is that things looked good. We had good matches. And the people, the guys that put us over were the ones that got hired and we didn't get hired. I don't even remember who we worked with. All right. <laughs> so we, we knew, I mean, you know, and then later on, we had another chance. And uh, I remember Vince McMahon saying uh, it was me, Santana, and we were going to have Fonzie like as a manager. All right. Okay. And, uh, Vince jokingly goes, you know, you guys, you guys are good, but you know, he made it sound like, but you, you're not only the, 
you're already out of the pit. You're already like struck out because you got brought funsy, you know, <laughs> but you know, but Vince said it like in a joking manner, but he wasn't joking. Right. <laughs> so that's what I, that's what I really, that's what happened there. You know, uh, I had another time when I was supposed to be there, go there, uh, Kurt, mentioned me in a, in a big meeting and it's when uh, Scott Hall was doing the Razor Ramon deal and right. Kurt said Kurt Kurt uh, said oh you know you should put I got a great guy to put with Scott Hall he's Cuban blah 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 and uh, you know well Razor Ramon or whatever and and uh Fidel Sierra, da da da. He's and Scott, he's Kurt, he's Scott, Kurt Henning. Yeah. He said, Yes, yeah, Scott Hall said, Oh, that's great. Now you want to put a Coke addict with me. Why he would say that, I have no idea. And then, I, but then I look, you know, now I, I get along with him now. Back, he had a lot of heat with me for that. Yeah. But uh, he, then I look into everything that happened on the road to him, you know? Yeah. And I said, well, as in karma, that's sort of like karma, you know? Yeah. Not that I was an angel, but, you know, it was just a, you know, it was so like cutting my throat, you know? Exactly. I probably would have had a good job then. Absolutely. And it would have made sense. You know, it would have been a good teaming, I think. Yeah. You know, and, and that's sort of like, in WCW, when uh, you know, I don't mean to jump back and forth, but in WCW, we were being promised this and promised that, and and Ricky couldn't take it no more. And we were at, at uh, in Orlando at a taping, and Ricky told Eric Bischoff we needed to talk to him, and Ricky told me, "So I'm probably going to get us fired," and I said. No, you just do what you got to do. And Ricky asked Eric Bischoff, how come there's this many Latins in California, Texas, Chicago, New York, Florida, you know, Puerto Ricans, Cubans, Mexicans, all, you know, every, and you're not, you're not featuring none of them on, you know. And Eric Bischoff looked straight at us and said, I don't have no, I don't got an answer for you. And then uh, basically, Ricky couldn't take. I after that, I called Puerto Rico. To, Ricky said, "Oh, Carlos ain't gonna want me back in Puerto Rico." Whatever. I called Carlos. Carlos talked to Ricky, and Ricky went back to Puerto Rico. I stayed in WCW, and uh, down the road, Eric told me. Ole Anderson, I think, was the burker then. Down the road, Eric told me, man, you, your wife, get this, this, and that, and you talk to Sting to get these outfits that he, where he gets his nice jackets made and all this, and um, and I, I'm going to put you guys on a contract, and and, uh, and it's going to be good, and da-da-da-da. And Ole Anderson said, that ain't never going to happen. And I'm like, and, the, and I think Ole Anderson stopped that. 
you know, he talked Eric out of that. And, you know, it just happened that way. Why? I don't know. I never really, I, I spend more time around Gene Anderson than Ole Anderson, but I, you know, so there was another time, boom, got. Yeah, right. Knocked right out of the picture. Yeah, that's uh strange occurrences going on in the wrestling business. Aren't so strange, really. Uh, no. Um, no. I was interested in this uh, 1995 ECW. Uh, you work as the terrorist there, which is right. a, a hectic name for a character. Uh, you work with Mikey Whipwreck, Marty Jannetty, uh, and you also work as six man against Hack Myers and the Pitbulls. Um, how did you feel working in front of that ECW audience? And, and you know, what was that experience like? It was so great. It was really great. I mean, I, I, I did a lot of stuff for the ECW. When they would come to Florida, I would, uh, my wife would manage me and, I, and I'd wrestle different people. But with uh, Hack Myers, God bless, he was such a great guy in the pit bulls, you know. And uh, um, it was a, a, such a different because you know how the ECW crowd wa was, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I can re I can remember the reactions of the people, you know, the stuff they would scream. And uh, I remember at the fairgrounds here wrestling, and I got on the mic, and and, and the wife got on the mic, and. Uh, we had so much, you know what I mean? They yeah. started, you know, screaming everything. They started screaming at her. She's got herpes. <laughs> you, know, and, you know how they were. And uh, after we got such a reaction that Paul Heyman said, after that, you guys don't get on the mic no more. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it was, and we were, I, I was putting somebody over. I just was trying to, you know, nobody told me not to get on a mic, you know, <laughs> until, until after when they see that reaction, they, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's good so, fun. Um, yeah, you know, you know, and Fonzie, he, he had a big part on uh, getting us booked there. That's for cool. Some yeah. good shows. Um, and another match that I saw, which I thought was interesting, 29th of April, 1999 in uh, Palmetto, Florida, uh, Danny Doring and Roadkill take on yourself and Ricky Santana in a tag match. So the Barrio brothers uh, work a match in ECW. Is that right? Yeah, I believe so. Yes, sir. Yeah, so that's pretty fun. Um, you guys uh, got to work there together. Um, so I guess just any time you guys there in Florida, you guys or yourself end up getting put on the show because of Fonzie. Yeah, we would try out. And, you know, the Barrio Brothers would have been such a, it was such a great gimmick and so good. Yeah. YWCW or Vince or somebody didn't take the ball and run with that because it was, it was good, you know, and I'm not just saying that because I was part of it. It was a a, a good tag team. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, Vince seemed to love the uh, the the heel foreigner type thing. You know, he had you know Savio Vega with Los Barricas and 
you know, there would always be these different stables or tag teams from different countries. You know, he seemed to really like that. So for me, when I would see the Barrio Brothers, I'd always be like, why are these guys always on WCW Saturday night? Why don't I ever get to see these guys on Nitro? Why aren't they more active uh, towards the title picture? Because certain times when you guys were there, man, they needed more tag teams. You know, you guys were yeah. Bunkhouse Buck and Dick Slater, the nasty boys of the American males. Um, but they, they needed more teams. And, yeah, because we were working. Back, we were, where was it? We were working Bagwell and... Uh, Bagwell and Scotty Riggs, yeah. Yeah, Bagwell and Scotty Riggs. And we had so. It was crazy just the way that all turned out. And we wrestled against Luger and Sting so many times. Yeah. On TV, it was unreal. And uh, and there were 12-minute matches, sometimes a little longer than matches, you know. And But uh, it's, it all boiled down to the politics of who was behind the scene and who wanted you there, who didn't. You know what I mean? Because there yeah. was other tag teams. Uh, I'll tell you, tag team that deserved to be there, disorderly conduct. I was going to say. They, ex- they deserved to be there. Uh, it's exactly what, I mean? what I said to Mike Moran. But, but I we deserved to be there, too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but it's, the, you know, the nature of our business is that, uh, you know, you sometimes don't get that... Uh, don't get the that position or whatever you know that you really want and, and deserve. Yeah, because it makes no sense even to me because there was to make money off of it. Yeah, there, there was a period of time where they weren't even doing anything with the tag team titles. I think uh, someone had got injured and then the titles were vacated. And I think Rick Steiner held the belts by himself for a period of time, but then that stopped. And then they just weren't doing anything with the tag titles for at least four or five months in like maybe 98, 1999. And there I am thinking you've got teams like high voltage. You've got teams like disorderly conduct. You've got the barrier <coughs> brothers. You've got the Armstrong brothers. You have all these teams do something with the belts and put it on one of these teams that have been working their asses off for years. Yeah. Yeah. The powers to be didn't want it to be. No. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. You know what I mean? It's it's a shame. Uh, it, it is, yeah. Um, what did you think of the Festival de Lucha? Uh, you get um, put on that show. I believe it was the 23rd of January, 1999. WCW are thinking about doing some Lucha-themed uh, Things uh, I guess this is like the uh, I guess the pilot episode of that. Um, you know, what did you think of that idea? I thought it was a great idea, and Conan was Conan was involved in it a lot, and and it was going to be a good thing. But <clears throat> even when we were doing the pilot, there were certain people like uh, people that didn't, you know, like Doug Dillinger, who was like a secure head of security or whatever. He was him and some other people. Were, I went and told Conan, they were all oh, this, this uh, ain't never gonna air, and blah blah blah. We had people already cutting it down before we even got through doing that pilot tape. And I went and told Conan, I said, Man, there's there, you know, I just overheard them say this or that. 
And then Conan, you know, talked to we talked to all of us, say, look, they're already knocking us, let's try to make this work. But you know, when you know, when you, you're trying to make something work, but you don't have the full backing of whether it be Eric Bischoff or whoever, and they don't back that, you know. So even if the first pilot didn't seem a little bit chaotic, mm. they should have let us do more to see because it, I think it would have really made uh, like a, a more made them money. They would have had their own little Latin part of a, a show that they could have had, you know. And that's such a big market to to uh, tend to at that stage. Exactly, and, it wasn't and being then, tended to. Yeah, they missed the ball at that, you know. Unbelievable, but I I, I believe that show is on the WWE Network now, so it can be. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'll have to send you my login details if you want to log in and watch the show yourself. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you have to send me that. Yeah, for sure. Will do. Um, 2000 is where I'm headed towards now, uh, Fidel. And this is the latest stages of your time in WCW. Um, I know WCW Saturday night was on its last legs uh, before that show was going to be uh, repositioned as a morning program before it ultimately got canceled. But um, the latest stages, you're working with Jim Duggan, you're feuding with him for the television championship. Uh, this time you're not known as the terrorist. You're working with him as Fidel Sierra. Uh, this is the final weeks that the show was on television. Was, so, that, was it just Fidel Sierra? Or was it Fidel Sierra, the Cuban assassin? I don't remember. I think, I think it was just Fidel Sierra. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, for, for you to be in like, I guess it's a, it's a small program, but you, you, you're finally getting some sort of angle for the first time in years because they haven't done anything with you, which is just mind blowing to me considering the talent that you have. Uh, but you're getting to do this thing with Jim Duggan and um, it's in the final weeks of that show being on TV. So, you know, you're in the main event of Saturday night working with Jim Duggan, who's unfortunately wearing a janitor's outfit. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, how was that for you? That was, you know, that was going to lead it into a lot. Um, that's when they had Duggan take the TV title out of the, Trash crash and yeah. all that. It was, but you know, Jimmy Hart was in charge of, of uh, WCW Saturday Night back then, and Jimmy Hart had a lot of believed in me a lot, and he seen that where. And I tell you what, we did all those all that stuff, and um, those matches that I had with Duggan on uh, WCW Saturday night. One of them did like a three point something rating. And then Nitro came on a Monday and this is what ended that, which you think, which is really crazy, but Nitro came on a Monday and they only beat that rating by very little. Really? <laughs> yeah. For that segment, you know, and, uh, Eric Bischoff is what I heard, you know, ever since then I get, I, I see Eric say hello, you know, I know his son. So there's no heat there with me and Eric at all now, but uh, Eric Bischoff told Jimmy Hart said, 
you got to end that right now. That Doug and Sierra, because the rating was this, and Monday we had Hogan and this and that, and and the rating was just uh, you know a little bit higher. Right. And, uh, and <laughs> that's and, so, uh... you know, and, and I remember Doug and one time Flair said, "What's wrong with Hacksaw?" We were in Orlando at the Amway uh, Coliseum or whatever. And uh, I wrestled Duggan. We we didn't lock up for like three or four minutes. We went like maybe 10 to 12 minutes. The people were USA. And I mean, and and every time we'd go lock up, I'd tell them to stop. And the building was going crazy. We had the match, boom, bam, 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 bam. When Duggan got to one, two, three, the place went crazy. And uh, Duggan came in ahead of me, and he slung his two-by-four against the wall. And Ric Flair just happened to be, and I was just coming in. Ric Flair said, what happened? And I said, no. I said, you know, to be honest with you, Rick, I said, Duggan can see what I see. We got something good here. The people are going nuts over it. They could be adding to it instead of killing it already. Yeah. And, and that's what he's really mad about, you know. And, and, you know, Duggan made it known, you know, hey, we're doing, you know, this is getting over. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And it and just could have led to so much stuff. It could have, yeah. I mean, you know, why not put it, it on Nitro could, if it was doing such a good rating on Saturday night? Nitro, yeah, put it on Nitro. Put it on pay per view. Put it around the loop, you know, flag matches, uh, you know, end up with a flag on a pole match, whatever, you know. It, it would have been, you know, would have been an addition to whatever they had going on in the card. That's it, yeah. But I'm not saying making it the main event. It just could have been a good middle of the card. Yeah. You know, gimmick. That, but, you know, they probably were scared that what if that middle of the card gimmick was so got over more than what was on in them. You know I mean? The business yeah. is great. But That's I had a it. lot of great times. Anytime I wrestled Jim Duggan, we knew we had the people in the palm of our hands. And we knew, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, great chemistry. Ricky's little, Ricky's daughter used to say, Dad, why does why does Uncle Fidelio always says, don't say USA, don't say USA. <laughs> uh, um, where were you and what did you think when you found out that the WWF bought WCW in 2001? I was, I don't know if I was working in Puerto Rico, just working there all around, you know, independence and working in Puerto Rico. Uh, I remember sitting at home watching it when it happened. I sort of knew it was going to happen. I had an a inside scoop on that, but uh, it was the way they did it. I think I liked it, you know, with Shane there and Vince and and because of the way that, you know, they could have did a lot more with that. Absolutely, I, yeah. You know what I mean? They could have had Shane, like, I'm the owner, of you, but kept it that way, even though the people, the Marks, everybody knew that it wasn't. And I don't like to call Amara the fan. Um, 
view that it wasn't, but it's still, I think it would have, there was a, a, a big build that could have been there. They should have taken their time. They should have let, exactly. let kept WCW on, on uh, maybe not have SmackDown, but have Nitro be the other show and have Raw yeah. and just keep them separate. Wait for those AOL Time Warner contracts to run out with some of the bigger WCW names and eventually have them both clash, not start the angle there. And then within six to seven months, the angle's over when that angle could have gone for two, three years. That could have been the biggest. Exactly. And it, and it would have meant a lot more. Yeah. I can't believe, I still can't believe what happened. That was like strike one for me uh, out of the three strikes that led me to stop watching um, WWF and WWE. Uh, So disappointing as a fan. Anyway, um, we're going from there and we are fast forwarding all the way to June 20th, 2020 last year, Fort Lauderdale, six man tag team action. The Barrio Brothers reunite? Uh, and what company was that for? That was for, let's have a look here. Got it in my notes. It says, uh, Jimmy McDowell, Storm, and Tyler Tornado defeat the Barrio Brothers and Francisco Chiazzo at CCW Summer Glory at Extreme Action Park in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And that, that was why we, we, while we still have this uh, uh, pandemic going. Yeah. And, uh, but that was, it was a good, re- yeah, that was like a, re- we reunited, but we had teamed other places, but they made it that more, you know, and it, it was fun, you know, uh, to, to be, to do that show like that. And, and it, it drew the capacity crowd that they let be in there. We all we, in the dressing room. They came in a few times. Every were all everybody had masks on. Even the wrestlers in the dressing room. Right. And they came in the the health people and made sure. You know, I mean, a couple of wrestlers had their masks pulled down. They had to make them pull them off. And uh, but it, it was great to team up. It's always great to team up with Ricky Santana, because um, we know when we go out there, no matter even at our age right now, not that we're saying we're real, old, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> even at our age right now, we can still go out there and have a match with the right people. Yeah, yeah. Not, not with these, and I don't mean it bad. There's a lot of young talent out there that's good, but are not being directed the right way or taught the right way. They got them doing 50,000 high spots and flipping and flopping. And, and, and it's not the way, you know, they don't got them telling a storyline. They don't got them uh, holding a, a, a hold or, you know, and then going into a high spot. There's just one spot after another, bam, bam, bam. And it doesn't you mean know, anything some, anymore. No, and some of the spots they do, uh, some of the things they do, then when they do their finish, it's less, <laughs> it's not as good as some of the things they did as false finish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't, I kind of think of it like this. In Star Wars, they have a thing called special effects. 
But if the special yeah. effects were in every scene through the whole movie, then they're not special effects anymore. That's exactly. kind of how I see it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's the way yeah, you hit the nail on the head right there. <laughs> so what does Ricky Santana mean to the career of Fidel Sierra? Ricky Santana means... Uh, we go back so many years. Friendship of over 35 years. Uh, we've wrestled each other. I don't know if Ricky's told you the first time he ever wrestled me. He gave me like a, a Mexican arm drag in, in Tampa at the Fort Homer Hesley Army. Yeah, yeah, he did. And then, yeah, and then I got all over him. I told Alfonso, Bill Alfonso's reference, go tell Ricky Santana, does he know what a Jack Briscoe arm drag is? And Ricky said, of course I know what a Jack Briscoe arm drag is, you know? <laughs> and then I wrestled him the next night in Miami and he gave me the Jack Bisco arm drag. I said, now that's the way you do an arm drag. <laughs> yeah, I his, his deal is Ricky, because Ricky's so great. We, we can choke each other. And all that. He said, well, that's because I thought you were a Mexican. <laughs> and I said, <"N> <laughs> you know, nothing not, not against Mexican people, you know, but, uh, you know, that one knee drop, you see that's a Mexican style arm drag, which a Libra yeah. style. And, you know, but Ricky has, Ricky is not only a friend and like a brother to me, his whole family, um, and to my wife. And then in the ring, we're like so close, you know what I mean? We're, we function so good together. We know each other's, what we're sort of thinking yeah, during our match, whether we're wrestling each other or teaming against somebody, and uh, uh, he's one of the best friends I have in this business, you know, and uh, and I really, I really uh, love Ricky and his whole family, and and I talk to him every single day. I call him every afternoon because I know he's driving from his work. Yeah. And I said, bro, how's that traffic out there? I, I would I always rip him over. Ricky, what are you doing knowing that he's in the middle of some bad traffic? <laughs> he's, what do you think I'm doing? <laughs> <laughs> but uh but we know we, we all will always be the best the brothers uh have ever, you know. And uh I've had a lot of close good friends, you know. From him to like Kurt Henning to there's so many guys that are, you know, and you know, Rip the Crippler, Oliver, all these guys that I got to team up with and wrestle, you know, and Kurt Henning was uh, my wingman, or I, he would call me his wingman or whatever, you know, because, <laughs> you know. I took Kurt Henning to, you know, I'm not trying to get off the subject. I, I, no, Ricky, fine. I love him. He's my brother. But I took Kurt Henning to uh, to WWC to wrestle Carly Colon, who then later became Carlito Caribbean Coup. Yeah. <laughs> but, and Carly was just, not just starting out, but, you know, he wasn't... Uh, 
he wasn't as he had maybe been wrestling a year or two. Yeah. But um, I brought Kurt. I talked to Carlos. Uh, IWA was going on then. IWA had a show and they had like, I want to say Kurt Angle and I forget who was on the show running the same night. And just with Kurt Henning, all I did was I did the talking why they, they, he did a call in to the studio. Yep. And Carlos put a match of Kurt versus Hogan. Spiced it all up where it all looked like Kurt was killing Hogan all the time. <laughs> I was talking how this is what's going to happen to Carl. He's going to take the universal title from him. All that. And and that show sold out Carolina, uh, Puerto Rico. And the other show that had some WWE guys on there, we had like six, eight thousand, and they had like maybe two thousand. Right. But and this was just without Kurt never being there. Yeah. You know, it was it was just all spliced in an interview and the way it was done, I did my Spanish part from, and I managed them, went out to the ring, and it was great, you know. And then and then he wrestled Ray Gonzalez, and then, you know, and then later on, we did some shows here in Florida, and then God bless, and that's when, you know, later on, he passed away for the show that uh, was going to be held at the Florida Fairgrounds. All right. Well, I'm sorry for your loss with your friend and and and, and Jay and 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 any, anyone else. I mean, I'm sure you've had a lot of friends who. Oh, so so crazy! The, the, yeah. So many of the boys. That's why me and Ricky we talk every day. We we always have to say, you know, you promised. We're never promised tomorrow, you know. Yeah. You know, look at I, I got a lot of prayers out for Butch. Read. I heard he had like a double heart attack or something the other really? day. Okay. Yeah. And you know, uh, I, I've had so many of you know. Just what was the last year? Rip Oliver passed away. Uh, there's so many guys. You know, Tracy Smothers and Tracy's mother's God. He was such a great guy. Uh, so much respect for Tracy. He always tried to teach guys the right way. You yeah. didn't really want to get Tracy mad because <laughs> uh, you didn't want to see that side of him. And, you know, uh, it's just so many guys, you know. Yeah, man. I understand. But, um, so we're getting toward the tail end here, uh, Fidel. Um, I wanted to ask you, do you have any regrets of your time in the wrestling business? Do I have any regrets? None at all. Awesome. I love it. I wish I could do it all over again from the beginning. If I could do it all over again from the beginning for what I know now, I would have did it so much different, you know? Yeah. Because like when I say like when I went in 1978 and got sent to uh, Dallas by, you know, The Rock, father, yeah. mother, King Curtis. And then they brought Gary Hart brought me in as David Patterson. And even from that start, they, why would 
Joe Blanche said, why do they call you Dave Patterson when you speak Spanish? I said, <laughs> it's a name Gary Hart gave me, you know, but, and it was crazy, but I, I have no regrets, but I see if I would have known back then, I would have said, you know, y'all need to, but I speak Spanish, you know, and I probably yeah. would have got used better. Yeah. Because at that time, the only guy they had there that was Spanish was Almadrill. You know? Yeah. But it is what it is. But no, I, I love the wrestling business. I still love it to this day. Uh, I still watch when I can. Like, you know, I watched Royal Rumble the other day, certain, certain things. I didn't get to see it all. Um, some of it was really good. Some of it, you know what I mean? And, and it's, you know, I watch AEW sometimes. Some of it, you know, they said they weren't going to, they said they were going to be different. And then now I'm looking at them now, little by little, they're being the same as sort of like the way Vince does stuff. Yeah, I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy either of them, to be honest with you. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's, uh, to me, the right combination for this business is for a company like, you know, is a mixture. It's how you mix it up. Okay, you have some young guys, older guys, legend guys, yeah. mix it all up, you know. I agree. And uh, and then I think that you'd be giving the people something different. Yeah. You know? Not go, okay, you can't go back to old school because it's a whole different of being, they're being fed so much. But there's a way you can mix it up where it could almost be old school with a little bit of new school all mixed up. Yeah, you know? I think that would be a good mix for sure. Yeah, and so what if you have legend, a couple of legend matches here and there? You know what I mean? Yeah. People like that, you know? Yeah. You could put Fidel Sierra versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan on AEW and they will still love it. Yeah, Today. they would. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Is there anything else that you want to accomplish uh, in the with the wrestling business at this stage of your career? Um, I would love to uh, help behind the scenes, like let's say WWE, whatever. But I think from the heat from years ago, you know, uh, that I don't know if that would ever happen. You know, yeah. Uh, I would even love to be part of AEW, but you know, it's wanting to be a part like of AEW or whatever. And then what they'll give you to let you put that input in is, is the whole key to the, to the situation. Yeah. You know, well, you know, even WWE, okay, you come in, you're an agent, whatever. So you're only going to have that role. I'd love to be able to feed them some stuff. Oh, a little bit of old school stuff, but then brought up to date, you know? Yeah. You know, and things that I think that are missing, you know, and, you know, I have a lot of people that I know that, you know, they're like you, you know, hey, 
I, you know, I don't watch this anymore or I'll watch it every now and then. Yeah. But really it's so changed and this and that. And, and it's because of that, if you, you know, yeah. Uh, you, you, need, you need guys like you in those positions because, uh, they might, some places might not have the right people in those positions, which is why it's changed to this point now where a lot of people that liked it back then just don't like it now. Cause it's just, it hasn't got the influence of those people that were there in the day when millions of people across the world were watching every single week. Yeah. And you know, what is it? Some of those people that have those positions, uh, aren't going to, they're going to be scared to speak up. Look at Dean Malenko, nice guy, good guy. He has a lot to do with AEW or whatever, right? But will, you know, if you got a position and you got to be willing not to be scared to speak up, even if they're going to shit knock it down. Yeah. Because if you speak it up, then uh, if you speak up and, and they like it and it works out, then, you know, it's good. And that's a, that's what I think. A lot of these guys, they got these positions, and they're scared to bring up something, or you know, they you know maybe they think in their mind, well, if I bring this up and Vince doesn't like it, or if I bring this up and uh, uh, Cody Rhodes or whoever, you know what I mean? Which they don't like it, or if it doesn't work out, then now you're going to be lower. In the, you're going to be lower on the totem pole now. So you got to be playing yeah. it safe all the time. Where yeah. you need people that aren't going to play it safe, that are going to take chances, going to see if yeah. things are going to stick to the wall when you throw throw it at it. Um, but everyone, because there's just so few positions in these companies, you want to ensure that you. Yeah. yeah. I, I I look at Cody Rhodes. I I I love him. Because his dad, Dusty, God bless, helped me so much in this wrestling business. He, he, you know, I wrestled as the saint here in Florida. You know, I don't know if you ever got any yeah. history of that. I, I did and, read some of that, yeah. Yeah, and Dusty gave me that gimmick, you know. I remember I, I had come down from Oregon to visit. And Don, Don Owens had told me, you need to find a place to go. And I come down here to Florida visit, and I was in Or I was in Orlando, and uh, somebody in a good position messed up, and Dusty let him go. And Dusty said, "Come and see me tomorrow at the office." And I came, and Dusty had his boots, you know, feet up on the desk, and was looking at me and said, "Trying to think of what I can come up with, baby," you know. And, <laughs> Uh, and then he said, I got it. He said, I'm looking at you all in spandex, you know, with a, and with a white mass spandex and a, and a gold halo and go in as the saint. And it wasn't no copy of El Santo or anything like that. Yeah, and then I said, Yeah, and I should have even the spandex gloves, you know, gloves and everything. And uh, Dusty took it and look, uh, I took Crusher Khrushchev, I wrestled as a saint, I managed Crusher Khrushchev as a Russian, and took Jim the Animal Nightheart, God bless, 
and turned them into a turncoat American. <laughs> and we had so much heat. We were, you know, we were having every Sunday in Orlando and a lot of it, we were having to fight back to the dressing room, you know? <laughs> you know awesome. There's so much stuff that, that we didn't get to talk about, but I mean, there's even, you know, I'm looking at me and Ricky Santana feuding with the sheep herders all over Florida and f fighting in barbed wire matches and fighting in uh, all over the building in Orlando and, and all the arenas. And we had some good uh, runs with the, with them. Yeah, man. I'm sorry that we weren't able to cover everything again. 42 no, it's hard, is man. I, it's hard <laughs> to cover 43 years. <laughs> exactly. But I am working on a book. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, tell me more about that. I'm just working on it. I, I, I don't want to, I, I got a name for it, but I don't want to give it away. That's cool. And, and a lot of the stuff we talked about might be in it. And there's a lot of stuff. And uh, it's, it's hard because down days, uh, you know, there's not that many books coming out like they used to be. So I'm, you know, some people say, oh, I think you're missing the, the deal on the books, you know, that, but I think, you know, if it's whatever you call the book and the stories that you tell in it. Yeah. And I got so many great stories and true stuff that happened and things that I've seen happen in this business, you know, that I would put in this book. Absolutely, man. And, and cause you're such a journeyman and you've been everywhere and, and 43 years of being in the business. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Hulk Hogan. I don't care if you're Andre the giant. I don't care if you're Barry Horowitz from the top of the card to the bottom of the card. Everyone has a story and it's just as important as each other's story because everyone has something to say and a story. To exactly. Tell. Exactly. Barry Horowitz, first class guy too, and very hard uh, technical wrestler. Yeah. Always. always I interviewed him know. about two weeks ago, so that was really a yeah, 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 he's great a great guy. guy. Hilarious. You know? He's actually hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and, and so Mean Mike mean Mike is also, and you know, and there's so many great guys in this business, you know, and but Ricky, you know, like me and Ricky, we're like, you know, well, when brothers you, when you, from another mother. When you talk to Ricky next, let him know that Carl mentioned that he still wants to help him write his book. Okay, yeah, maybe help me. I can help you too, bro. Definitely. Count me in. How will we do it? I got some contacts. I can help you out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But when you mean help writer, you mean... You got the contacts, but like, I can help write it too, and we can talk about this after the interview. But uh, I can certainly help out. I believe. Well, that would be great. Yeah, cool. Um, so, Fidel Sierra, look, we, we've just hit two hours of interview time here. I've appreciated your time, but we have one final segment. It's called Five Second Frenzy. It's ten quick fire questions. And it's just to learn about other things that you like in life. There are a few about wrestling, but here we go. And even if you break the five seconds, it's okay. Every wrestler breaks the five seconds because they're a wrestler. 
Uh, so here we go. Fidel Sierra, five second frenzy, your favorite wrestler. My favorite wrestler would have to be Jack Briscoe. Awesome. Uh, your favorite opponent you've had over the years. God, there's so many of them uh, uh, from Kurt Henning to Ric Flair to Harley Race to, to uh, you know, Andre the Giant to uh, Antonio Anoki to Carlos Colon. Uh, there's so many to the uh, tag matches, me, Ricky Santana against the Rock and Roll Express. A lot oh, of yeah. them. Yeah. No, I knew that would be a difficult one considering you work with pretty much everyone. Uh, your favorite match you ever had? Could you narrow that one down? That's a hard one. <laughs> I, I really, really, really could. Favorite match. Wow. Phew. It's just there's been so many uh, that I've that I loved, you know. I loved working Jay Youngblood, God bless. I loved working Kurt Henning, great matches with them. Uh, Buddy Rose, Playboy Buddy Rose, you know. Uh, Rip Oliver, when I turned on Rip Oliver and I turned babyface, uh, you know. There's just so many guys, Ric Flair, you know what I mean? I, our daughter, Ric Flair, with as Top Gun uh, in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Wow. And, then, and going an extra five minutes, you know, after that. And then, it's, uh, you know, a, a lot of great matches with a lot of great people. Who I, I can't just name one. It's just no, hard. Fair enough. Fair great enough. Great matches with Carlos Colon, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, I dig, I dig. Um, okay, this one might be an easy one for you. Your favorite book? My favorite book? Yeah. Wow. I really, <laughs> I, I don't do a lot, a lot of reading, so I really don't have a, a favorite book for you, boss. That's okay, bro. Um, how about this one? Favorite TV show? Favorite TV show. Maybe even like your favorite TV show when you were a kid or something like that. Well, I, I watched as a kid, watching the Beverly Hillbillies or anything like that. It's <laughs> funny, the Cuban guy watching the Beverly Hillbillies. And, uh, but, you know, movie wise, you know, like watching Scarface or. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of uh, uh, with the wife a lot of these Spanish Spanish shows, and I couldn't I can't name them all, and and then the lyrics are in English, but some of them are so interesting. These I was watching one with the uh, Pablo Escobar one. Oh right, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, and uh, that you know, and some of these another one where they were off. Uh, these cartels are fighting each other and all that. But the story, the way they they laid it out, I said, wow, you know, they, they really make it interesting. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so I guess favorite film, would that be Scarface? Yeah, let's just say Scarface. That's a classic. Uh, favorite musical artist? Oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> Country music-wise, Hank Williams Jr., uh, 
rap wise, I guess 50 Cent. <laughs> cool, um, man. <laughs> uh, back in the day, you know, when I was a teenager, I'd watched, I went and seen Santana and, and Led oh, Zeppelin nice. and all that. You know what I mean? Really? So those, That's amazing. Yeah. So those are great concerts that I got to go to. And uh, Janice Thompson. Oh, I see he's Janice. Wow. Yeah. And, and Janice Joplin, I've seen her in concert and I've seen her go to jail right after her concert. Because <laughs> the police were grabbing somebody and she's like, she cussed at the police and as soon as the concert ended, they were handcuffing her. Oh my gosh. Tremendous. Uh, you, what is your favorite food, Fidel? My favorite food, it would be... Uh, Black beans, yellow rice, roast pork, uh, br- Cuban breaded steak. Delicious. Uh, your favorite place to eat on the road? Uh, what is it? Roadhouse? I like the Roadhouse steak place. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Uh, what's your favorite alcoholic beverage? Vodka and Red Bull. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Good and, and I and every year uh, for carrot hitting, because when I was at Kurt hitting, we we drank a lot of Jack Daniels. But Kurt had a you would drink the shot of Jack and gargle it. <laughs> you always had to gargle it to to let everyone know that you were actually drinking it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, the yeah. second last one on Five Second Frenzy, Fidel, is your favorite female body part. My favorite female body part? Yeah. We all know that one. <laughs> and what would that be? What would that be? I can't say it nasty, right? You can say whatever you want. We're, I'm Australian. You can say whatever you want. The pussy, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've, had before, we've had that answer before so it's okay um <laughs> and the final one for five second frenzy fidel sierra the cuban assassin your favorite curse word fuck you <laughs> <laughs> uh. thank you so much bro for uh for doing this show with me and and, and, and I just really want to say, and I say this at the end of every interview, but I mean it every time I say it, uh, I, I hope that you are so proud of what you accomplished in the wrestling business. 43 years, you're still working every now and then, um, but you made an impression on me when I watched you in the late 90s in WCW. And I just want to say, this is what's meaningful. I live in the most isolated city in the world, Perth, Western Australia, and you had someone here appreciate you and what you've done. So I think that means a lot, sir. And I just want you. Yes, to- it does. It does. And it's, and it's such an honor. And uh, you know who I know that from Australia that I met her in Canada and then when, when I was in Australia is Sherry Sinatra. Okay. She- she wrestled at yeah. Walmart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she, was, uh, she was a really good friend of mine and still is. I mean, I haven't talked to her in years, but uh, I, you know, when I was in Australia, she made sure she was living in Perth and would come to yeah. uh, 
I was staying in Melbourne and she would come and visit and, and she was always first class. Oh, that's cool. I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I spoke to Bill Apter not long ago and I think he was very good friends with her. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that's who he's talking about because she was from Perth. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's cool, man. Well, uh, again, uh, Fidel, Cuban assassin, I want to thank you so much for your time, bro. Um, really appreciate it, man. And uh, uh, once we're done talking uh, through this recording, let's have a wait, quick wait. chat. And look, what, real, I want to show you the Cuban oh, heavyweight. Show, show it to us, Cuban bro. heavyweight title uh, <laughs> to be defended as soon as this uh, coronavirus is over. It's yep. called going to be called Rumble in Havana, Cuba. Be the first time they have wrestling in Cuba in over 50 years. Really? Wow, that's going to be massive. I can't wait to see some of that on YouTube. And there'll be people like Andrew Anderson, Kevin Sullivan. Uh, a lot of great people are going to be on this. Uh, Ricky Santana, uh, you know. Uh, I might have to book a flight over to Cuba to watch this. There you go. There you <laughs> go. But uh, I thank you very much. Please send me the link to... How we'll I do. can see this once you get it all done. Absolutely, sir. I will. And, and, and again, I want to thank you for your time. And, and once I'm done with the outro here, I want to talk to you for just a couple more minutes. So again, I want right. to thank you. And uh, so thank you to the Cuban assassin, Fidel Sierra. And you know, he had a lot of other names, but those are the most famous names of him. What a legend. So great to have a conversation with him. And I want to thank you all out there for watching the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network, and we will see you all next time.